Well, good morning. It's good to see you all and gather around God's Word. If you're a guest with us today, my name's Drew, and we usually use this time to open up God's Word and move through a passage of Scripture. And as I was thinking about this week, I'm just so grateful that we have the opportunity uh, not only to gather, but to live as Christians throughout the week. Um, Thinking about, you know, our purpose as a church, we are committed to being and making disciples through worship community and mission. And I've been so encouraged at how so many of you have modeled to me and one another what it looks like to do just that, to uh, worship God both gathered and scattered, right? We're, we're gathering together as God's people. And thank you for those of you who are joining in live stream. And I know so many of you have been doing that for a long time because of health concerns. And um, thank you for your commitment to still gathering in the way that you are able to. Um, to worship God together, and then to worship God through the week, and to grow through the Word and prayer, and to honor Him in your vocations, to serve Him and others. Think about community. We do that gathered and scattered as well. We're gathering together um, as God's people um, on Sundays and in small groups, but then so many of you have um, done such a great job reaching out to one another, stopping in on one another, taking walks, sending notes, texts, emails, buying uh, coffee for one another, and dropping it off. I've heard so many great stories of the way you've encouraged one another. Um, think about mission. We do that gathered as well, that we're here to be a light to the nations, singing among the nations, and equipped for mission on Sundays. And then we also serve our neighbors and get to know them. I just had a conversation with someone um, just in the past few days who was talking about Um, this situation we're in, and this isn't a believer, but he was saying, I hope that we learn from this whole situation. We don't just go back to normal. It's like there's a message trying to get through to us. So people are aware and, and awakened to what is going on in the world, and is there a spiritual reality beyond the natural order that we see, and if so, what is that? And so what a great time to be alive and to be here um, as the Lord's people to share about Jesus with others. And so really that last part, this spiritual reality, is what we're going to be considering this morning from the book of Daniel. So if you would, open up to Daniel chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to grab one. There's some under seats around you. And we're continuing in this series, and as we've moved through the book of Daniel, if you've been with us, uh, you might feel like the book of Daniel is somewhat like a swimming pool. The first six chapters are the shallow end, and then it gets... Uh, toward the deep end progressively. So we're, in the, we're beginning the last vision of the book of Daniel now. And if this is your first Sunday uh, here, then you're jumping right into the deep end. And this can be a little bit disorienting um, of a chapter. We're not used to what we see here in this chapter. The curtain is pulled back so that we see into the spiritual realm. And this chapter really gives us a window into the spiritual realities around us. And what we see in this chapter is that there's a great conflict going on. And we call it spiritual warfare. Now, this sounds strange to modern ears. Many are uncomfortable with this. We live in a secular time, a secular age. We can think of it like this. The Bible says that we're living in a two-storied house, right? We're in the first floor, the world that we see around us, but there's a second story. There's a second floor um, above us, the spiritual realm. And this idea of a second floor, a spiritual realm, uh, is not strange to many cultures around the globe, uh, in Africa and Latin America and Asia, and for most of the history in the Western world as well. People believed in this second story that it existed, but in the past couple hundred years, people have begun to believe that this first floor is 
Not only all we see, but all there is. And so talking about spiritual realities can sound very odd in our culture today. And yet even in our culture, we're seeing that many people sense there must be more. There must be some greater purpose, some meaning to the world, and it's beyond what we see. There's some, something spiritual going on out there. And so the Bible affirms that sense that there is meaning and significance beyond this first story that informs how we understand life in this first story. There's a spiritual realm, and we have a hard time making sense of the world even that we see without paying attention to this spiritual realm as well. But this chapter in Daniel 10 gives us a window into this realm, and it's not just here to fulfill our curiosities. God revealed this spiritual realm to Daniel in order to encourage him and to strengthen him. And so like Daniel, we can feel discouraged about life and the future, and this text is here to give us the same kind of strength and encouragement that Daniel experienced in this chapter. So let's read Daniel chapter 10 uh, together. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Verse 8, so I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, Understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, this angelic being, withstood me twenty-one days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. Verse 16, and behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. 
Again, when having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Well, what a story. Um, Kids, I encourage you, if you have paper and you're drawing things, I'd love to see what you end up drawing uh, as you listen to this sermon. Draw what you hear um, and what you can see from this text. Well, there's a lot of emphasis on this, if you noticed, on Daniel's experience in this story. So let's follow his experience through this text. We'll follow him in four steps. We'll see what he feels, what he sees, what he learns, and then finally what he receives. So first, what does he feel? Verses 2 and 3 says that Daniel is mourning for three weeks. He's in some kind of state of grief here. He's fasting from meat and from wine and from special food. So why is he grieving? Well, we have a few insights into the reasons. Think about his situation at this point. I mean, he grew up in Jerusalem, and then he was taken captive to Babylon when he was a teenager, essentially taken hostage for his entire life, hundreds of miles away from his true home. And last week we saw that Daniel knew that God was going to send the Jewish exiles in Babylon home to Jerusalem. The Babylonian Empire fell and the Persian Empire rose and Cyrus, the king of Persia, sent the Jewish people home. But this wasn't all good news because Daniel, um, he's still in Persia and he doesn't end up going home as far as we know. When he receives this vision in the chapter we just read, it's three years after Persian Empire came to power, so a lot of some of the Jewish people went home to Jerusalem, and Daniel stayed. And so here he is in his 80s, still in exile. And he also no doubt knew what was going on with the Jewish people who did return home. It wasn't going well. You can read about it in Ezra, chapters 1 through 4, and then beyond. They went home to rebuild the temple and the city, but they faced opposition and persecution, and the building stopped. Various leaders were set against God's people. So that could be confusing. And so Daniel's probably greatly discouraged about this and seeking the Lord in prayer. We get another insight into why he was mourning. If you look down to verse 12, it says that Daniel was praying and seeking to understand something. He was probably trying to understand the visions that he had already received. We saw last week that God gave him another vision of the coming days, of the future, And even though the angel explained it to him, he still did not fully understand. As he's receiving these visions, he's confused by them. He's appalled by them because of the threatening future that's ahead. And so Daniel's discouraged about God's people facing opposition here. He's confused about the future and the visions he's received, and he's grieving and praying. Maybe you feel a bit like Daniel did. In these these days, life feels hard. You're not sure why it feels like you may even have a particular kind of opposition in your life. You may feel like Israel at this time. They may not have been sure why things were slowing down for them. They were seeking to honor God by building the temple. 
to something that they know the Lord would want them to do, and yet that was opposed. Why would God allow that to stop? Why would He allow suffering as they're even trying to honor Him? Maybe you feel like times in your life you're seeking to honor God and your plans get frustrated and you're wondering why in the, Lord would the, why in the world would the Lord not allow this to happen? Why have so many setbacks? Why one after another? Maybe you feel like that this year. Wave after wave, one setback after another, and you wonder where is God in this? Maybe something about how Daniel or God's people felt. And so now God responds to Daniel's grief and his prayers. So second, what he sees. God answered his prayers in a way he didn't expect. He gave Daniel a window into the spiritual realm. And so Daniel is on the banks of the Tigris River, and he looks up, and he sees an incredible angelic figure. He describes it in verses 4 to 6. He doesn't describe a little chubby baby with angel wings. He doesn't describe a precious moments figurine. He doesn't describe what we may see on the front of Hallmark cards in the coming month or so. He sees a man clothed in linen, a gold belt around his waist. His body is like barrel, which is like this blue or green emerald. He's shining like lightning. His eyes are like torches of fire. His arms and legs are shining bronze. And when he speaks, it's like the roar of a crowd. And this being is so glorious that some think that this is a divine figure. I think this is a vision of Christ. We'd refer to this as a pre-incarnate Christ. Um, I think this is likely a, a vision of a an incredibly powerful angel, perhaps even symbolically portrayed. A lot of this description matches angelic figures called cherubim in Ezekiel chapter 1. So these angels are powerful. These angels are like powerful military guards and warriors. So how would you respond if you saw that? Here's how Daniel responded. He fell on his face and he passed out. Now, this is interesting. Daniel has not even heard about the vision yet. That's, this is really the introduction. This chapter we're looking at is the introduction to the vision that we'll consider next week, Lord willing. So, he's in the introduction to the vision, and he's sleeping. He's sleeping during the introduction. Maybe some of you can relate. Thinking of some of you who are asleep before the introduction to the sermon even ends. Actually, I have a friend who listens to our podcast uh, when he can't sleep at night, and it gets him back to sleep fairly quickly. So, Ricky, if you've made it this far, well done. I hope you get some rest. Well, Daniel's sleeping in the introduction for a different reason, though, right? The veil that separates our life from the spiritual realm was ripped open. He came face to face with a vision of an angelic warrior, and it seems that he fainted in fear and awe. This kind of thing doesn't happen every day. If it's happened to you, I'd certainly like to know. But here's what this teaches us. At minimum, this kind of thing can happen. It has happened. This world is more enchanted than we often realize as we go through our days. And this is here to teach us about what this realm is like, this spiritual realm, and why it matters. And that's what we see next. So, We've seen how Daniel feels and what he saw. Now, what does he learn? The angel woke him with a touch. 
It's interesting. Three times this angel touches him and strengthens him with the touch. And then he says that he was sent to Daniel. You can read verse 12 with me. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. And here's where things get even more surprising. So Daniel was praying for three weeks, right? He was mourning and praying for three weeks. Why didn't the angel come right away? The angel said his words were heard right away, and he was sent right away. Why didn't he come? Well, look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, the angel says, 21 days. So this angel was immediately sent when Daniel started praying. It's not clear that Daniel planned on doing a three-week fast in prayer. He just started praying, and since there was no response, he just kept going. And he's just, he's just grieving before the Lord and humbling himself and seeking to understand. He didn't know that God actually immediately sent an angel. But the angel didn't come right away. It took three weeks. And the angel says it's because there's this prince of the kingdom of Persia withstanding him. This is almost certainly a way of referring to a spiritual being. Angels are called princes in Daniel. So there's a spiritual being associated with Persia, this new empire, that was delaying this angel. Verse 13 continues, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what's to happen to your people in the latter days. So now he's come to Daniel to give Daniel understanding, help him understand more from these visions of what's going to happen in coming days. He'll soon leave again, though, to continue the fight. Look at the end of verse 20. The angel says, but now I'll return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So that's likely another spiritual being. So there's a spiritual prince of Persia. And then when the Persian empire falls, we've seen that the Greek empire will rise with Alexander the Great. But then it's not just Alexander the Great here. There's a spiritual prince over Greece that's going to withstand as well. So what does Daniel learn here? Well, he learns there is more going on in the world than we may see with our eyes alone. There are angels and demons, and they are active in this world. He learns that there's a spiritual battle going on. This helps Daniel understand what's happening with the Jewish people of his own time, doesn't it? The Jewish people returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and they faced incredible opposition. Why? Well, Daniel sees that there are spiritual forces at work, and these spiritual beings can associate with and influence world empires. It seems that there are spiritual beings that can work through world powers, and they can influence the political affairs of the world, and they can, they're set against everything that God loves. They're sent against truth and goodness and beauty. They're set against God and the people who worship Him, which is no doubt why they would influence a movement opposing God's people as they're rebuilding the temple to rebuild this place of worship and sacrifice before the Lord. And in the vision next week, we'll see this influence continued after the Persian Empire, continued to the Greek Empire, and then we can continue beyond the Roman Empire and on and on today. Now, you may have a hard time believing this. All right, here are just a couple things to consider. First, for those of you who do already believe in God, 
Uh, this shouldn't seem as strange as it does. We're just not as familiar with it because we don't think about it as much. But if you already believe in God, you're, you're most of the way there believing things like this already, right? Think about it. If you believe that God is a good spiritual being, then it's not too much further to think that there could also be bad spiritual beings like these mentioned here. And second, this window into spiritual reality helps us make sense of the world, some of the horrors that have happened in human history, how do you explain them? They seem incredibly complex. I find the explanations that don't factor the reality of original sin, the sin nature that we have, and this spiritual influence, I find explanations just too simplistic. This explains the kind of incredible evil we've seen in certain regimes in the world, the incredible pure evil of Hitler and Nazi Germany. It helps us understand the irrational evil of some people that harm others or themselves. Now, what about when we do believe that this is real? What then? Well, when we think about spiritual warfare like this, we have to avoid two extremes. We can be oversensitive or we can be undersensitive, right? So, if we're oversensitive to this, we can obsess about it. Some people think that there is a demon behind every bad thing that happens, and the error of oversensitivity then is to go beyond what the Bible actually teaches. And there's a danger here because the Bible does not say a lot about this reality. It says maybe more than some of us may be thinking, but it doesn't say a lot. It doesn't answer all our questions. There's a lot of gaps that we don't understand. And what's interesting is if you want to learn about it and you seek books that are written on this, you'll often find really unhelpful books because if someone can write 400 pages about it, they got to make a lot of things up that aren't in the Bible right? So, you've got to be just really careful and discerning of what does the Bible actually say and what's being added to fill in the gaps that may sound more or less plausible, but is going beyond and into speculation. So, we have to be careful about this. So, people, some have developed very detailed plans about how to discern a demonic presence. They say maybe that if you're angry, you have this spirit of anger, not just an emotion of anger, but a spirit of anger, a demonic presence that's doing this, or you have, you're bitter, you have a spirit of bitterness. They tend to blame everything on a demonic influence. They develop detailed strategies for casting out demons, but often biblical warrant for some of these things is very thin. But the other error is undersensitivity. This is the error of those who neglect this altogether. They may deny even the existence of demons, or if they believe in them, they don't function into their understanding of everyday life and reality. They don't factor it in. They think everything can be explained by human factors alone. But the Bible teaches us to be aware of it, but not obsessed with it. So how are we supposed to think about this topic of spiritual warfare? Well, I think it may just help to, for us to take just a couple minutes and step back and see the big picture about the spiritual realm and spiritual warfare in the Bible. So, here's just a couple-minute sketch. We, we need to go back to the beginning. So, actually, before the beginning, we have the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who have always existed. And this invisible God created the world, both physical and spiritual, visible and invisible realities. He created human beings, and He created angelic beings, different kinds. But at some point, we don't know much about this, a number of angels rebelled against God, and one of these beings in particular, whom we call Satan, it's a leader. And when God created Adam and Eve, Satan tempted them to join the rebellion, right? To rebel against God. And they did. So sin entered the world and now affects every human being. 
And yet on that day when sin even first entered the world, God promised that he would reverse the effects of sin. One day the offspring of Eve, the first woman, would defeat this evil being. Genesis 3.15 is the first promise of the gospel in the Bible, and it says this. God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. So from that point on, there's a conflict between Satan and his offspring and the woman and her offspring. And ultimately, this continues throughout history. We see this conflict between God's people and Satan's influence. So Daniel's plopped right in the middle of this conflict. In this unfolding story, he sees that this is not just about sinful empires. This isn't just about evil leaders who you can only explain their evil by, you know, poor education or social factors around them. That's part of it. But there's also this influence that's happening through all of this with these demonic beings in the spiritual realm. And there's a battle raging. And so this continued on until Jesus came. And when Jesus arrives, he arrives in the midst of the conflict and he's rebuking and casting out demons. Satan tempts him. Satan enters Judas, so he would betray Jesus. Then on the cross, it looks like Jesus is defeated. The satanic forces influence various leaders, crucifying Jesus, and yet this was God's infinitely wise plan to defeat and overthrow Satan and sin and death and evil. Remember Genesis 3.15, God promised that Satan will bruise his heel, but that he would crush or bruise his head. And so Colossians 2.15 says this, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. So God puts the rulers and principalities of this unseen realm to open shame by triumphing over them through Jesus. And Jesus has risen, and now the war is won, even though little battles still rage on until Jesus returns and eventually makes all things new. And so Satan opposes the spread of the gospel right now. And so we have spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 to 12 says this to Christians, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning flesh and blood alone, But we also wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we don't fight with physical weapons. We fight with spiritual ones. To fight, we trust in Jesus. We hold fast to the truth. We rest in his grace. We devote ourselves to prayer. That's what the spiritual armor is all about. And we have the help of angels like this one in Daniel 10. Hebrews 1 refers to angels and says this, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So angels are sent by the Lord to help Christians. And one day, Satan will be finally and fully crushed by Jesus in his victory and will be part of it, united to him. Romans 16, 20 says this, the God of peace, and you can hear the echoes of Genesis 3, 15 here, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Saying that to the church, united to Jesus, crush Satan under our feet. So we don't become over-sensitized nor under-sensitized to this, but we let it inform our outlook on life. 
And in particular with Daniel, we see that there are spiritual beings who have influence in the world. They're resistant to God. They're resistant to God's people. They're resistant to the spread of the gospel. So, this helps us understand one aspect of that temptation that we experience. I mean, even through entertainment, right? As more and more movies and shows seek to lead people to indulge in a kind of slavery to lust, there's a spiritual dynamic and influence at work there as well. This helps explain the incessant resistance to the spread of the gospel in some places. I mean, why are some places so hard to get the gospel into in the world? Why are Christians heartlessly killed for loving their neighbors and seeking to tell them about Jesus? The resistance is likely, likely fueled in part by these demonic beings like the prince of Persia here in Daniel. They hate Jesus. They don't want him worshiped. They resist the spread of the gospel like they resisted the rebuilding of that temple. And so this is why we pray for our mission partners. This is why we want to be a church devoted to prayer because there's more going on than we can see and more needed than we can do. Uh, We need the Lord to be working um, for the spread of the gospel, and it's a spiritual battle as well. This is why we pray for our mission partners and encourage you to stay informed of our mission partners and the battles that they fight as well in spreading the gospel. This is why we want to keep prayer and evangelism always linked together. Let's never tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ without praying for the Lord to open their eyes. So that's what Daniel learns. Now, finally, what does he receive? This reality is helpful to know, but this can be alarming, right? I think this spiritual realm and learning about it, it can be paralyzing and frightening if we think about it apart from uh, God and His grace to us through Jesus. Always keep the gospel central in how we think about the world, and God helps Daniel do that here. He's exposed to this vision. He's terrified. He's weakened. His energy's just sucked out of him, right? I mean, he just He's completely weakened here. He needs to be strengthened over and over. That's what's emphasized in this text. Some of you who have experienced this recent sickness with COVID can testify. That's one of its effects, right? It's like a friend of mine said it felt like there was just like a needle just pulling his energy out of him. Um, So Daniel's drained of his energy here, and he needs to be strengthened, likely physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, what we need. So, what does Daniel receive that does calm him and strengthen him and give him courage? Here's a number of messages. We'll just note a few of them briefly. Here's some messages that he hears. One, you are heard. Verse 12, for from the first day that you set your heart, Daniel, to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So Daniel was praying and fasting for three weeks, and it seems like he would have kept going. And the angel assures him that God hears his words. If you're trusting in Christ, you are a son or daughter of God, and God hears you. And if you do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, he will hear you as you call out and ask for forgiveness and to know this one true God and to follow Jesus. He's responsive to prayer. We may not see what he's doing in response, Daniel didn't see what was going on for a while at least. You may not know when he'll answer your prayer. But in Ephesians 6, Paul gives these Christians this exhortation and encouragement about spiritual warfare. And he calls us to pray. He says this, praying in light of this cosmic warfare that's going on, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So let's pray for one another. Let's pray for the gospel to spread. Let's pray for encouragement in these hard and trying times. And let's know that we are heard. You are heard. Second message he hears. You don't need to be afraid. The angel says to Daniel, fear not. You don't need to be afraid. God did not give Daniel this window into the spiritual realm to make him frightened and to confuse him and to paralyze him with fear, but actually to comfort him. That's the end result here and the end goal. And we now even have more reasons to not be afraid because we don't just hear an angel coming saying, Daniel, there's more than you know is going on. There's a battle fighting, but I am protecting God's people. We don't just hear an angel saying that, though that would be greatly comforting to Daniel, right? We hear from the Lord Jesus, I have conquered. And the Lord Jesus is risen and has sent his spirit to be with us. And the Lord Jesus will return and Satan will be crushed soon under our feet. And so we see that the one who's king over all things is in authority. And he casts out demons with a word. And he exercises that authority today. So I don't know, some of you may have had pretty alarming experiences with the spiritual realm. Um, frightening experiences. And I want to encourage you to know that the Lord Jesus is with you by his spirit and there are angels as well. And you do not need to be afraid, though there are things that are fearful in some degree because the Lord is with you and he loves you and he will protect you. And we know where this battle is heading. So he hears, do not be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. And third message, you are loved. The angel repeats it twice here. Verse 11, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Verse 19, O man greatly loved. I mean, he just, it almost seemed to be little casual throwaway statements, but they're not, are they? This angel knew that Daniel needed to hear this. You are loved. You are a man who is greatly loved. You may feel alone and thrown away in your 80s in exile, not going home, in Babylon for your whole life, confused about the future, given these visions, this burden to carry, you are a man greatly loved. You are heard, you are known, you don't need to be afraid, and you are loved. There is a heart in heaven that beats for you. So Daniel's weak and confused and sad, and God sends the angel in part to communicate this message. Daniel, you're loved. Remember in the midst of all of this, you're loved. It's at the heart of what God wants us to know. It's why Jesus came to us. As Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. God shows us love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. In Isaiah 43, verse 4, the Lord says to his people, in maybe the only time it's directly said in the Bible, as far as I can tell, he says to his people in this context of redemption, he says, you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. That is a message for all of us. And it's seen in the cross of Jesus. And you can know, if you are, if you are trusting in Christ, that, is, that message washes over you um, day by day. Nothing can separate you from his love in Christ Jesus.
you hear this every day. Our staff recently read a great book on this topic. Um, I know several of you have read it as well, called Gentle and Lowly by my friend Dane Orland, and commend it to you. It's the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. Last message, you are not alone. God sent this angel to comfort Daniel. Daniel was not alone. Daniel got insight into the spiritual realm raging around, and he learned that angels protect God's people, and it's still true today. It's a mention from Hebrews 1. Angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation. And so we can be encouraged by this. We're not alone also because we have God's Spirit with us. The Spirit is sent to do for us what the angel did for Daniel there as well, to comfort us, to strengthen us in the depths of our hearts. So we're never alone. You are never alone. God is with you. So we can step out into every day. I mean, here, here's, we can walk away from this text. We can step out into every day knowing that life is way more complex than we often think about with these spiritual realities at work. History is complex. Evil is complex. But we can walk into every day with this message. And I encourage you to even write these down and remember these tomorrow morning and the next morning and the next morning. You are heard. You don't need to be afraid. You are not alone, and you are greatly loved through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we join our hearts and minds together and draw near to you through the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit. We thank you for your heart of love for us. We thank you for not leaving us alone and uninformed, but that even in a chapter like this, you are seeking to strengthen us and encourage us. We thank you that you did that for Daniel and that that was meaningful for him. And we thank you for doing that again to us today. We thank you that we have great reason to hope. We pray that you would cause us, even in these coming days and weeks, to encourage one another with these truths. Would you, by your Spirit, stir our hearts and minds to speak these reminders to one another? that small groups as they meet together or meet over Zoom this week would be encouraged by your word and your truth and your presence. And we pray that we would be able to advance uh, your mission in the spread of the gospel. We pray that you would push back forces of darkness and let your gospel run and be honored and magnified this week and in this hard time for so many people, we pray that you'd stir Christians to continue to befriend and love and serve and bless their neighbors and friends and coworkers, and that you would provide opportunities for them to not only speak about things that matter in life and care for them in practical ways, but you'd also give them opportunity and boldness to speak about you and your love through Jesus. And we pray that many would come to know you and have this great comfort in the midst of these trying times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.